Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. So how far would you go to demonstrate the love of God? Like literally, like how far? Would you go a mile out of your way? An hour? How far would you go to demonstrate the love of God? I mean, if you were on your way somewhere and you saw a person in need, you know, how far out of your way would you go to demonstrate the love of God? Would you turn around and take them at least to a point along the way um, where they could get whatever help they needed, how far would you go to demonstrate the love of God? I mean, even if you were on your own personal mission to go rescue your own family member or take care of um, someone you knew, how far would you go to demonstrate the love of God? What if helping that person, you know, took so long that, well, you see the rationalization. How far would you go to demonstrate the love of God? We're going to talk today about some... um, some folks who have literally gone out of their way to demonstrate the love of God just in the last few days. Um, And we're going to start with, um, I mean, the question of whether or not you'd even go a mile out of your way. What about two? It's called Second Mile Love. Comes from a portion of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Um, This is Matthew chapter 5, verses 41 and 42. If anyone forces you to go a mile... The context here is that uh, Roman soldiers could compel uh, a person to go a mile under under Roman law. So if anyone forces you to go a mile, they could also, by the way, car- force you to carry all their stuff. Um, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to anyone who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. So the context here, again, is the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5 to 7. Where in the Word are you today? I'm in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, And if you read the whole thing out loud, by the way, it only takes about 14 minutes. So if you're looking for a way to get some Scripture content and to read these verses of Scripture in their context, take 14 minutes and either read or listen to uh, Matthew chapters 5 to 7, the entirety of the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, you can find it and just, you know, just Google audio, Sermon on the Mount. And uh, so it's all kinds of people reading it in all kinds of translations of Scripture. You could make one, too, if you wanted to. So Jesus in this in this portion of the Sermon on the Mount where we find today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day, um, you might read chapter 5, verses 38 to 48, Um, to get today's verses in context. Jesus says, you have heard it said, um, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek as well. And if anyone 
wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. And if anyone forces you to go a mile, today's verse, go with them two miles, give to the one who asks and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Reading on, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. I tell you, Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you might be children of your father in heaven. He is the one who causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous alike. And if you love those who love you, well, what reward will you get? I mean, isn't that exactly what the tax collectors are doing? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than anybody else? I mean, isn't that even what the pagans do? Jesus says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. So uh, this is Carmen LeBurge. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen here on the Faith Radio Network. Um, There are the ways of the world, and there is the way of Jesus. There is uh, the spirit of the world, and there is the spirit of Jesus. And these verses um, are all about how we walk in the way of Christ, how we minister in the opposite spirit, the spirit of Christ, even in the midst of a world dominated by another spirit. I mean, literally, the world says, an eye for an eye, right? I mean, that is our, I mean, I guess it's our revenge approach. Jesus says, turn the other cheek. The world says, just do barely what the law requires. I mean, just do enough to satisfy the requirement of the law. And Jesus says, go the extra mile. The world says, have no mercy. Let those people take care of themselves. Jesus says, you give them something to eat. You give them somewhere to sleep. You give them something to wear. You show them mercy. The world says, hate your enemy. Jesus says, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. The Sermon on the Mount is about uh, living Uh, something called, you know, higher righteousness. I mean, here he says, you know, be perfect. And we say, we can't be perfect. And yet that's what Jesus calls us to in the Sermon on the Mount. It's a higher righteousness. It's a righteousness of the kingdom of God lived out in the midst of the kingdoms of this world. Does Jesus know it's near impossible? Yeah, he does. He lived it. It seems crazy. It seems off. It seems risky. It seems expensive. It seems foolish. And yet it is the spirit and the way of Jesus. And so today, let us um, live by the spirit and walk in the way of the one who came that we might have life and have it abundantly, even the one who is the way and the truth and the life. Let us minister today in the spirit, not of the world, but in the spirit of Jesus, who is uh, quite the opposite of the spirit of the age. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Our friend Nick Pitts is uh, back this morning. Good morning, Nick. Hello, Carmen. Happy Tuesday to you. Happy Tuesday. Happy Tuesday. Um, So we got a range of things that we could talk about today, but I always feel like, you know, it's worthy checking in on the home front. How how are things on the home front? You know, cannot complain in the least bit. I think uh, I have a six-month-old daughter now that... Uh, depravity, total depravity has uh, skipped over her. I'm convinced of course, that of course. She she's is a perfect child, perfect. angelic. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, it's, it's just remarkable. It's just you remarkable. Know, here's the reality, how- Nick. Here, here's the reality, sir. You are not in a position to raise an angel. <laughs> I mean, you're this just not. So I'm just, let me just go ahead and just go right out there on a limb. I mean, I haven't met your wife, so it's possible she's in a position to raise an angel. But I know you well enough to know you, my fallen human friend, redeemed though you are, still not in a position to raise an angel. You know, funny enough, somebody sent me. I don't know who it was. It was one of my friends. I'm I'm positive because you know you can sometimes get Amazon packages that don't have a name about who it's from. And so <laughs> when I was sharing. When I was sharing uh, the news that uh, Lauren was pregnant, we were expecting, et cetera, I got a book from a friend, Eight Ways to Screw Up Your Child. And uh, that was, that's (laughs) got to be from one of my buddies. Real friend. Really didn't need to read the book. Probably could have wrote the book. But yeah, I feel like like that's a a little autobiographical. Um, All right. So let's. um, Well, first of all, I, I have a, uh, a person who is 80, uh, 84 or 85, I can't remember, but she lives in the community where your dad serves as a mayor. And I am now um, conceiving of ways to have everybody at a lunch together. I'm just warning. I'm like I, warning you in advance because there's going to be stories. I think it would be a great place for us to all meet together in Clarksville, Tennessee, and maybe she, do a live show there from the from the office. I think she is a part of this group of old ladies who get together and they like knit and they make all kinds of oh she wants all my all of our leftover t-shirts because they turn them into all kinds of other things and send them off to these mission uh, outposts in Africa and she just returned from um, a trip to Egypt and she's got a picture on a camel and I'm just and she's 85 and I'm like you know there's a there's some hardy stock so anyway there you go I'm uh, I'm working on I'm working on that I love it I love it yeah okay you and I have both read um a piece on uh, how churches and many other religious congregations and communities are responding to the migrant crisis. And I mean, I just thought we would just highlight New York City because, first of all, there's a really broad diversity of religious people in New York City and therefore religious communities. There's a sort of enough uh, population density to have um, a community response, not just by Christians and churches, but by others as well. And I thought this might be helpful to brief people in on today. Yeah, it, it, what we continue to see is uh, what's happening in New York has been happening in El Paso and at border towns uh, across uh, across Texas and Arizona for years. And what we're seeing is that churches continue to be churches when crisis uh, comes its way. And so in New York, what we're seeing is that churches and Catholic charities, et cetera, are opening up their arms to these immigrants that are being bussed in and transported into the city and being the hands and feet of Jesus, uh, serving meals, providing services, uh, uh, teaching English, English lessons, helping with workforce, uh, workforce essentials components, just trying to help these immigrants be able to assimilate and to be able to succeed during their time here in the U.S. And it's just, this is this is something that we've been intimately acquainted with down here in Texas for years. I've got great friends that are serving on the border in uh, Brownsville and in various other, El Paso, et cetera, church, some of the Texas Baptist men down here that are just doing incredible work to serve mm-hmm. the, to serve people that bear the image of God. And it's a beautiful thing that you don't necessarily see on the news because all we see on the news is the political dimension of it. And I don't want to ignore, um, you know, the the challenge um, that 
that we face as a nation in relationship to this, but the challenge we face as a nation is different than the um, than the opportunity we face as Christ people um, receiving those who um, are in need. So, could you retell the story um, of this uh, of this pastor in Midland, Texas? Um, it, it. I just thought that this was so um, so beautiful. It's not that he doesn't think the border should be secure. It's not that he um, doesn't wish that um, uh, our our border would not be porous. But he is a Christian, and in this case, a pastor. And in his church, they are housing migrants. Yeah, it, it's fascinating. So just context for, for those. Midland is, is very much an up and down city. When it's up, it's very up because it's an oil it's an oil town largely based on how well oil prospects are doing so this can be a land of it's a land of great affluence but also when oil prices are down can be a very difficult situation to be in and what you find in midland is a pastor he's a supporter of president trump he is for strong borders he is uh he is very uh he's an advocate of the rule of law but when when the immigrants, uh, when immigrants come his way, he is someone that, again, it's just the hands of Jesus that loves his neighbors and continues to serve those individuals. And it just represents, I, I think one of the things that I wish was more reported by uh, not just outlets like Christianity Today, but others is to help us see that this is the richness of America. That the richness of America is whether it's the the knitting clubs that are happening in Clarksville, Tennessee, to the churches in Midland, Texas, down in El Paso, to New York. What's happening is more than politics. It's people that are just responding and loving their neighbors here and now and doing everything that they can to set their neighbors up for success. Yeah, it's so good. So thank you so much. Um we're gonna uh, we're gonna keep talking with Nick Pitts here in just a moment. What are you seeing um, where you are in your local communities? How are churches in your community responding to needs of various kinds? Are you in some kind of uh, group in your church or community that is actively meeting the needs of neighbors? We'd just like to hear some of those testimonies. So the text line is always open, 877-933-2484. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Hey, this is Carmen from the Mornings with Carmen show. Who's your pastor? This is Pastor Appreciation Month, and so I want you to think about who is your pastor or who are your pastors? Who shepherds your heart? Who gives you wise and faithful counsel? Who comes alongside to encourage you as you walk difficult stretches of the road? Who opens the word of God to you in ways that actually help you live into the character and ways of God? Who are your pastors? Do they know it? It's possible you have lots of answers to this question, that maybe there is somebody who's preaching or teaching you listen to regularly. They shape your scripture engagement, but they don't know it. I'm encouraging you to tell them. Whoever it is that comes to mind when I say, who is your pastor? I want you to reach out to them this month. It's Pastor Appreciation Month. So encourage those who pastor you. Oh, and if you are a pastor, thank you. Bless you. Connecting Faith to Life, Faith Radio. Continuing our conversation with our friend Nick Pitts from the Institute for Global Engagement. Um, all right, Nick, uh, you and I have both read this um, this reporting that nonprofits with Christian values or Christian nonprofits um, are not going to get donations from some people. And so my take on this is 
Christians really do need to be supporting ministries that are expressly Christian um, because the rest of the world can support the rest of the stuff, but only Christians are going to be supporting things that are expressly Christian. Uh, exactly. To, to help those of the household of God first, right? From Galatians 6, it's the idea of uh, yes, uh, yes and amen individuals that give someone a glass of water um, in time of need. Yes and amen, even more so to the person that gives a glass of water in the name of Jesus in time of need. It's just a great opportunity. What we see with the numbers, it's it's probably roughly about a third of individuals that are are, are turned off by the idea of religion um, and individuals that would uh, uh, try to propagate or try to share the message of faith during times of need through nonprofit ministries. And just like you said, it's just a reminder that we just need to be uh, captivated and helping those that are at the household of God first. So this research is um, uh, done by uh, done by Barna, and you know, and what they're seeing is that across all generations, less than half of the pe- people who responded um, said that if a nonprofit organization has Christian values, it would make them more likely to support that organization financially. In fact, the opposite is true. They said if an organization states that it has Christian values, it's actually going to make them less interested in financially supporting that particular organization. Um, You know, for those of us who are in nonprofit ministries like Faith Radio, we look forward into the future and we say, hmm, um, that, you know, we're going to have to have (laughs) we're going to have to have really robust support from um, from folks who believe that Christian ministries, including Christian broadcast ministries, matter. And it's going to require um, those of us who give, you know, I mean, obviously all of us have limited financial resources. And so we're making decisions about where to invest those for, you know, kingdom kingdom advancement. Um, one of the things I am just trying to communicate to my Christian friends is, I mean, I don't want to say you don't, you, you shouldn't be supporting things that aren't expressly Christian, but the rest of the world can support all that stuff that's not expressly Christian. Only Christians are going to support the Christian stuff. Yeah, I, I completely agree. It, it does, it, one, just from a worldview level, it just is a keen reminder that one, uh, God owns a uh, cattle on a thousand hills and he has tasked us and he has given us um, uh, resources to steward in his name. And again, just a keen reminder, Christians aren't Christians, non-Christians are not going to support Christian issues. And who is then? How are we going to deploy our dollars if what we really believe it to be true? And then two, it just illuminates the growing chasm. Uh, There was research out relative to individuals asking for prayer. How much would you pay for a prayer during time Mm. of need? And what we continue to see is that Christians are willing to pay anywhere from three to ten dollars for prayer, um, based on whether it's a lay person, clergy, or a priest. And non Christians are quite literally willing to pay upwards of five dollars for someone not to pray for them. Um, that there is a there is a great need for us to be keenly aware of just the antagonism and distrust of Christians. Um, but for us to recognize that we have been, we are trusted messengers that have been entrusted with a message of trust and of Christ Jesus. And it's important for us to deploy the resources that we have to share that message of trust in order that the, that individuals may come to trust in God. 
Let's uh, let's pivot our conversation back here um, just for a moment to something happening in Texas. I think people will be interested to know what happened or what is happening in Lubbock. Can you read us in on this LGBT group that is claiming that a federal judge cannot be fair and impartial because he is a Christian? Yeah, it, it, uh, just to be full disclosure, um, uh, Matthew Kaczmarek uh, was at a, a First Liberty Institute before he was appointed by President Trump to the federal court. And so uh, there's, uh, he and I have gone back a few times. And so he's a he's a very decent, good man that I'm honored to know uh, during his time at First Liberty fighting for religious liberty issues. And so uh, Judge Kaczmarek has said that he will continue to uphold uh, this law that bans uh, trans. Uh, drag shows, et cetera, from public spaces. And there are some in the LGBTQI movement that are saying that he can't be uh, impartial and fair due to his Christian convictions. And again, it's, uh, it's just, a, uh, again, a running theme that uh, individuals are showing this antagonism towards Christians, trying to essentially just relegate Christians from any type of position in society due to our beliefs and what they would believe our inability to be fair in exercising justice when what we would argue is that we believe it to be true that God sits on a throne of justice and righteousness and has called us in Matthew one seventeen to do justice. <laughs> so, um, but nevertheless, that's where we are today. Yeah, he's also the judge um, at the center of the conversation related to um, the uh, the abortion pill and mm-hmm. access that people have um, to that through the U.S. mail in particular. Um, I do I do think that, you know, he is a person proving himself willing to, um, you know, to press forward where some others are are leaning back. And so, you know, certainly a person out there on the front line um, of the of of the contentions of our day and um, and for whom we ought to be, you know, we ought to be praying. So thank you so much for bringing the personal um, note as well to that, um, Nick. Um, hey, uh, anything else as we, um, you know, as we pivot into our day? Any any anything you wanted to talk about today that you're like I just regret we haven't talked about this. You know, I um I, it is a keen reminder and I know it's it's a heavier topic what we know what's happening in the Middle East right now and it is just a very real reminder that this day is not guaranteed that mm-hmm. evil is real uh from Ephesians 5 and this day is a gift and I I am as young as I will ever be in this moment for the rest of my life. And I have been given this day and I like an orange that I'm about to squeeze so that I can get some orange juice to continue the day. I want to squeeze every bit of goodness out of this day and see the Easter eggs that God has laid before me throughout this day. uh, So that I can see the treasures of joy that he's hidden in this world in every crevice so that I might delight in him and in turn that satisfaction in him might cause questions and lead to opportunities to share about his goodness and grace. And I don't want to miss that. I think it can be really easy to get very bleak and down because of the news, but I don't want us to miss the fact that there is still good news in Jesus and we have an opportunity to share that even in the bleakest of times. Um, thank you, my brother. Thank you so much. That's Nick Pitts. He's a fellow at the Institute for Global Engagement. And like you and I, he is concerned about what is happening in the world, even as he is caring for the things um, right at home. So thank you so much. 
Um, all right. So uh, pivoting to a conversation about Israel, the United States of America uh, via our president, um, in addition to leaders from France, Germany, Italy and the U.K., um, have issued a joint statement on Israel, quote, express our steadfast and united support to the state of Israel and our unequivocal condemnation of Hamas and its appalling acts of terrorism. Later, they say our countries will support Israel in its efforts to defend itself and its people against such atrocities. We further emphasize that this is not a moment for any party hostile to Israel to exploit these attacks um, to seek advantage. We're also just aware that there are um, sort of dueling demonstrations, not only uh, here in the United States, but around the world where um, pro-Palestinian activists, pro-Hamas sympathizers um, have been not only um, protesting Israel's response, um, but uh, but really attacking the civil rights of those who would seek to stand with Israel. And so um, our colleague, I mean, I say colleague because he is, he like me, he has a show called Mornings With. His happens to be Mornings With Neil Mitchell. Um, he is uh, an Australian um, broadcaster. He's a journalist um, on uh, not only radio and television, but um, he writes for newspapers as well. Neil had Mark Leach on his um, on his radio show. Mark Leach is an Anglican clergyman in Sydney, Australia. And I wanted to share a couple of minutes of audio um, from the conversation that they had yesterday on mornings with Neil Mitchell in Australia. So this is Mark Leach. I saw this protest was being planned. I also heard that the New South Wales police had warned the Jewish community to stay away. And I thought with my background as a child of a Holocaust survivor uh, and as an Anglican clergyman, I thought there was no way that Christian people and Australians should not show up and stand up against the anti-Semitic hate speech uh, that was going to be propagated at the rally. Uh, So I thought I'd make a little stand and I went along with my flag. I stood on the steps of the uh, cathedral, the Anglican cathedral in Sydney in my clerical collar and uh, I waved my flag for about two minutes and then had a large group of angry young men run towards me. I calmly packed up my flag and walked away and then I ran away because they chased me up Bathurst Street and onto George Street. I ran and hid behind a police van. And thankfully, uh, the police at that point came along and dispersed the mob of pro-Palestinian supporters who were looking for me. I've uh, not been that scared in a very, very long time. And that was on the streets of Sydney in broad daylight with the police unable to guarantee the safety of a, of a clergyman on the steps of the cathedral simply because I was going to stand with Israel against the barbaric massacre of innocent people in Israel. What were they saying when they were chasing you? Were they shouting at you or just trying to get to you? Uh, I didn't stick around to listen, to be honest. Um, But there were people in the crowd shouting, kill the Jews. That's actually when I decided I had to unfurl my flag Uh, I heard crowd members starting to shout, kill the Jews, and I thought, this is completely unacceptable. Mark um, Leach happens to be um, the son of a Holocaust survivor, and this is um, maybe more, more personal to him than you have thought of it is to you. But here's the reality. 
um, if we are not willing to step forward and stand um, for for liberty and freedom um, and for the right of people to uh, live uh, peaceably um, in in their land, uh, then who is going to come to our aid when we need it? I mean, it is this is reality. This is reality. And um, it is a reality that has been repeated throughout human history in relationship to the Jews in particular. Luke Moon uh, is the deputy director of the Philos Project. He joins us uh, on a regular basis, and um, and the Lord, you know, the Lord has him coming and talking with us today as well. Uh, obviously, Luke spends a lot of time in Israel. He's got a lot of friends there. He certainly has a unique perspective on the unfolding events. So, uh, Luke Moon joins us next here on Mornings with Carmen. Luke Moon is joining us. He is the deputy director of the Philos Project. You can connect with the Philos Project and all kinds of updates related to unfolding events in Israel uh, at philosproject.org. Good morning, Luke. Good morning, Carmen. Um, Would love to have you offer some context for what is happening on the ground um, in Israel uh, and across the border in, uh, in the Gaza Strip. I'm also hoping that you can present a Christian perspective as um as you know we are watching these events uh, unfold from afar but also ardently praying. Yeah. I mean I'm sure many of your listeners know all the issues all that transcribed on on Saturday morning uh you know Hamas breached the border uh between Gaza and Israel basically the first time they've been able to do that. Uh, they, there was a, there was actually a peace, uh, uh, like concert right there on the border. Uh, they launched, uh, gliders into that peace, uh, concert and, uh, word is that over 270, uh, young people were killed at that concert. Um, there's some really harrowing stories of people trying to flee and, and just being, mowed down and stuff like that it's it was a horrible situation there and then they also breached the wall and um uh went uh, caught some kibbutz off guard basically went house to house uh kidnapping uh women and children and then killing everybody else so it was very brutal um right now there's over 800 dead i suspect that number to increase uh still and it's israel's 9-11 I mean, actually, it's it's the worst loss of life in Israel since the Holocaust in one single day. Um, they, like it's it was and, and it just shocked, shocked not only Israel, but it shocked, I, I would say, like the whole world. It's it's Israel's 9-11. Um, it was the 50th anniversary of the surprise attack on Israel in 1973, the Yom Kippur War. Uh in which Egypt and Syria attacked Israel simultaneously, secret, you know, it was a, it was a sneak attack. Um, and in that one, uh, you know, it was, there was pretty significant loss of life in Israel in that war as well before Israel was able to kind of uh, regain footing and, and push back. But that's where we're in that regain footing point of this whole situation. But you know, it has it has changed. This has changed Israel forever. It's not going to go back to be the same place. 
nor is Gaza. It's going to uh, be significantly decimated if there's, you know, it's, um, you know, to put to put it into perhaps perspective, you know, when when uh, the Sunni Muslims in Syria rebelled against Assad and launched the uh, the attack against, you know, that started the, the Syrian civil war. Assad's response to them was to actually level whole cities, killing everybody in them. That was the response. Mm. And Israel is not doing that. Israel is restraining itself and Israel will restrain itself. The problem is, is that it's going to cause a lot of it's going to be a slow fight. Um, and, you know, it is. And and even as Israel walks slowly through Gaza to try and get its hostages back, to try and get the bodies of its citizens back. Uh, it faces opposition from around the world. People that just, you know, that for one reason or another are just obsessed with hating Israel. Well, I want to talk about that for a moment. I know you have been uh, walking um, in New York City, uh, standing with uh, standing with your Jewish neighbors there. Um, we just heard a little bit of audio from Mark Leach. He's an Anglican clergyman in Sydney, Australia. Um, his just personal testimony as the son of a Holocaust survivor who felt absolutely compelled to take his uh, Israeli flag and um, and stand on the steps of the Anglican Cathedral um, until he was uh, literally like run off um, by people who clearly were not interested in in him exercising his freedom of speech, but also interested in doing him physical harm. And the police said they could not protect people who were, um, you know, who were who were pro-Israel in the midst of all of this. Um, they'd already warned the Jews not to even, you know, come out and um, and and show themselves like we are. Um, people need to recognize like this is uh, not confined to um, an experience you know, uh, along uh, along a forty mile border in Israel with uh, something we call the Gaza Strip. This is this is already a global concern. Yeah, but it, here's the thing: it's it's even worse than that, Carmen. It's the things that are being said. Like, you know, if this was, I mean, it, there's there's kind of exchange of rocket fire and stuff like that between Israel and Gaza. You know. Every year, every six months, I don't know. It's there's stuff going on all the time. That was, that was, um, you know, and and when those that happened, was quote unquote normal. But this that is, was no, this yeah. is not. And the thing is, is what you have. I don't know. Like you know, the, I don't know if the guy who was on before mentioned in Sydney, they like they were chanting "gas the Jews," which is um, what compelled him. That's what compelled him. He's like, that's when I got my. That's when I got my Israeli flag out. Like I was like, I somebody has to say we stand with the Jews. And 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 that's the thing that I I'm I'm shocked by. Really, I'm shocked by. Well, I shouldn't be shocked, but I am. I'm shocked by how quickly um, the, the like not only has basically pretty much everybody been like, wow, look at them you know, Palestinians chanting gas the Jews and the stuff that they're saying in New York and Tampa and San Francisco and DC and et cetera, et cetera. And how quickly the response out of every, you know, so many people I know who are 
fairly pro-Israel to say like, you know, saying, oh, we should, we should, uh, you know, renounce violence on both sides. And like, it, 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 it went to a moral equivalency space very quickly. I mean, the, I mean, it, it's a very strange, I don't know, strange is not the right word. It's, it's sad. I mean, basically what I learned from this is how I, I now see how, how the Germans could watch a million Jews be executed in their country. I could see it, right? Because it's like, oh, like the rest, like people are saying, oh, they deserved it. You know, like that's what the, you know, the Harvard kids are saying and the Yale kids are saying and the Columbia kids are saying, oh, you know, it's like 75 years of occupation and, and this is, this is the result. Israel deserved this. Really? Israel deserved like having their kids drug through the streets of Gaza behind cars after having been gang raped? No, they don't actually deserve that. Nobody does. That's the things of like, it's inhumane. It's inhumane. And like, I, I'm not, um, I, I don't, I, I think, yes, pray for peace. And how you're going to get there is by the destruction of Hamas. That's that's the way that you get to peace. You're not going to get peace by, like just another statement. I'm, I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I get a little hot on this one, Carmen. Um, I just, well, it's and- been, it's been three days of, yeah. I mean, the stuff that, yeah. the stuff that you know, I've so many friends there, and so and like so much of you know, well, I mean, my my, my life's work right now for a decade has been standing beside these people. You know, as not, I'm not Jewish. I'm just a normal, like, American Christian mud. You know, like, just, you know, I got a little French in me, some German, some English, some Irish, you know, I'm just, and I just am, like, it's, it's, um, yeah, it shook me in ways that I didn't expect. First of all, um, thank you um, for not being normal. We love that about you. Um, and even as, uh, even as aware as I feel like I am about things taking place until you mentioned Tampa, I didn't know that, um, you know, that there were like dueling protests there. That's my hometown. Um, that's where, you know, I have, I mean, that's, you know, Lori Tepper was my best friend, uh, in fifth grade. And, you know, so her family is the first, um, family that I ever, um, celebrated a Passover with, and um, and Jamie Cohn is a good friend of mine from high school, and she and her family now live primarily in Israel. And I've been, uh, you know, on WhatsApp with her, texting back and forth. And I didn't know that in the town we grew up in, where I attended my first, uh, you know, bar mitzvahs and bat mitzvahs for my friends, I didn't know um, what was happening there. And so, Luke, I think that even as aware as I imagine I am, um, even I am not aware of what is happening in places and spaces where uh, I did not know this had this had spilled over. And um, yeah, so thank you for making me aware of that particular um, situation yeah. today and prayers for my friends uh, who live there, um, Shani Edelston, and just on and on and on. I have a lot of Jewish friends in Tampa, and so now you have me thinking about each and every one of them. Um, let's take a very brief break. When we come back, um, yes, for those of you asking What about the Palestinians? We are absolutely going to have that conversation next. How do we, how do we love people? 
um, in the midst of uh, of war. We recognize that Hamas is not, um, you know, is not every Muslim person. Um, and so we're going to talk about uh, the distinguishing characteristics here and, um, and, and, and how to appropriately respond um, to, to all of this. We're talking with Luke Moon. He is the deputy director of the Philos Project. You can be equipped in this area and connect with others at philosproject.org. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. As we consider the life of Jesus and the life of the first generation of Christians, reading here the book of Acts and all the letters to the Christians in the New Testament, we see people who like wake up. They come to see and understand and then receive Jesus as their Savior and Lord. And it changes everything. We see Christians then telling other people about the good news and inviting them to respond in repentance, be baptized, and follow Jesus. The movement of Christianity grows person by person and then exponentially as people walking in darkness receive the light of Christ and want others to know what they know and have what they have. Well, you and I are living in dark days. People need light. And Jesus is the light of the world today in the same way that he was the light of the world at the beginning of creation and at the first Christmas and throughout his life on earth and in his radiance now at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is the light of the world. So if you're walking in darkness of any kind today, I invite you to consider Jesus. If you'd like to know more about what it means to begin a relationship with Christ or to chat with someone about it, just text the word FAITH to 41224. Luke Moon uh, is here with us from the Philos Project. You can connect with him at philosproject.org. It's also a great place to get updates on what's happening and invitations to conversations um, that uh, leaders of Philos are having um, not only with each other, but with their friends. So um, so go ahead and check that out, philosproject.org. Uh, Luke, uh, folks on the text line are asking about your friends. Are Luke's friends safe? And please let him know we are praying for him and those he knows uh, in the region. Thank you. No, so far, all the ones that I have talked to are safe. Um, uh, you might remember Carmen Shadi. Uh, yes, Absolutely. Naveen. So Naveen is Shadi's cousin. Naveen is one of the, you know, she's, she's an Aramaic Christian living in the North. Her son uh, is a Christian in the IDF. uh, And he was in Gaza or he was on the border with Gaza when, when Hamas crossed over, he is safe, praise God. Um, And, but yeah, it's, I, I had a call when my, when my guides called me, he'd been called up. He's on the front lines. He called me, uh, on, on Sunday evening and I, like, I've never, he was exhausted. I could hear it in his voice. He's just so, so tired. Um, so just, you know, I'm <clears throat> praying constantly for those guys. And, you know, I had, uh, I, I had a, I had a, our, our Philos Hispanic had, was supposed to have a trip that started, uh monday yesterday our we had uh, a catholic trip that was supposed to start on saturday and i had the chosen trip that was supposed to start at the end of the month none of that's happening now so i'll have a lot more free time but my my world changed completely <laughs> yeah so. absolutely i think uh-huh. that um that actually 
people are wondering, one of the questions that we've gotten is, you know, what about people who are visiting now, who are in Israel on a trip or those who have plans to visit? If I hear you saying um, we're not not only not doing the trips we had planned for right now, but we're, you know, we're canceling the ones in the foreseeable future, that um, that's a huge indication to me um, how the rest of us might be discerning our plans as well. Yeah, no, I would say that this is going to be this is that I mean, a lot of the conflicts last a week. Uh, this one's going to last probably five or six weeks, I suspect. Um, so anybody who is planning to go in, you know, between now and the middle of November should probably, you know, be looking at making other plans. I think after the first of after the first of December, probably safe, maybe even after the middle of November, it'll be back to I mean, safe. It's I mean, it's pretty safe in general, but it'd be more back to normal, if you will, like people are going to begin to to you know be do it back doing you know how doing their jobs but it'll be a while here yet yeah it's yeah. it's gonna it, it's i i mean i am going to go soon i'm working on trying to figure out how soon i can get there because i am that guy um mm-hmm. i plan to bring a bunch of journalists with me and we'll see what we can you know just grounds around and find so fantastic um yeah uh, that makes me want to say I'll go, um, but of course I should check with my husband before I offer myself up for such a trip, um, uh, because I do love and appreciate um, what you do and would um, value getting that word out. So just know we're happy to be an outlet for whatever yep. you um, whatever you come across. Um, Luke, let's take a couple of minutes and um, and deal with the concern that people have related to uh, the Palestinians. Um, how to best connect with Christians um, in Gaza and or um, partner with those who, you know, who are, who do have a genuine humanitarian concern. Yeah, there. I mean, the, the challenge is that there's basically 700 Christians in Gaza total. I mean, that's not like and that's all the churches. I'm mean, talking the Eastern Orthodox, Roman Catholic, the Baptist. It's just it's not very many. Uh, they are probably. Um, very much in hiding. One of our one of our former uh, colleagues, Khalil Saya, his he was a Christian from Gaza. Uh, his family's uh, apartment complex was uh, was bombed, I think, yesterday. Um, and I mean, they had five minute warning, thank God, but they they you know basically lost everything. Um, and that's that's going to be the reality for the people in Gaza, particularly uh, for for the near term, it's just not going to, it's, it's, this is, this is too significant. Israel cannot show to the region that it is weak uh, in any way. I mean, that sounds harsh, but it it is, you know, it's not, um, you know, we're not talking about the gated community of Western Europe where, you know, everybody's kind of, you know, walking around their neighborhood with glasses of wine. This is, it's a rough town. And you can't show weakness, and that's what's going to be the reality. Uh, the Palestinian territories in the West Bank—it's a—it's pretty much—it's pretty different. Um, not hearing a ton of skirmishes, which is good. I think that that's a good sign. Uh, some of the pastors I've been talking to in the West Bank—they are, you know, just trying to get by. They're, you know, they're not under attack. Nobody's going at them, and so they're they're pretty safe. Um, you know, I'm, it was, a 
you know, there aren't the challenges. There aren't a lot of voices speaking up yeah. against Hamas or any right. of that. Um, well, because you can't, because they eliminated all opposition in Gaza when they, you know, when they took control. So, Luke, we um we have to leave the conversation here today. I am um, I'm looking forward to tuning in. Um, to uh, to the conversation that you and Robert Nicholson are going to have later today. Again, if you guys want to have an ongoing conversation and get input from Luke, philosproject.org is a great place to do that. Um, we're certainly going to be praying for you, brother, and looking forward to um, uh, follow-on conversations. That is Luke Moon. Um, again, he is the deputy director of the Philos Project, um, actively engaged in um with individuals and organizations and deeply with the community um, of believers in in Israel, both Christians and Jews and Muslims alike. So philosproject.org is a great, uh, great place for you to um, connect. All right. We have another hour together here on Mornings with Carmen. Apparently, some of you have your feelings hurt that I haven't opened the last couple of days with some just bright, shiny good morning. Good morning. So let me say good morning. I have opened the last couple of days with um, a level of sobriety that uh, some of you are not used to from me, but um, these are sober, sober times in which in which we lived, and uh, and so um, yeah, sober times call for uh, a sobriety of spirit. And so yes, good morning, um, and God is good, and we give Him all the glory on this day. Let's spend another hour together here on Mornings with Carmen. You're listening to Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.